0: I'm really excited to kind of jump into a second part of the series we're in this month on grace. Uh, and today, uh, the title of this message is "Abounding Grace." Turn to your neighbor tell him, "Abounding Grace." Amen. Now, we don't use that word abounding much anymore, but I'm going to get into it in just a moment. But as I was going through this, I think it's important to kind of go all the way back to the basics so that everyone is on the same page. And when you read scripture, when you read the Bible, it's important to understand that the Bible is not one book. It's a collection of books. It's 66 books that are broken down into two categories, an Old Testament and a New Testament. A testament is a will or a covenant or in simplest terms, a promise. It's a contract that God made with his people and in the Old Testament there was a contract that we would describe as the law. God gave them a set of rules and regulations, laws that they were to abide by and to live by strictly in order to be in right standing with God. The law was literally impossible to fulfill and that was kind of the point. The point of the law is to show you that you can never fulfill the law. That to be righteous in God's eyes is an impossibility for humanity within its own strength. No man can be righteous enough to atone for one's own sin. And so what the New Testament is and why it's so critical is it's not an abolishment or an erase of the Old Testament but a fulfillment of the Old Testament. You and I could not fulfill the law so Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law, and paid the penalty for our sin that was under the law. The Bible says the price for sin is death. Under the law, there had to be a penalty for your sin. And so we can't escape that penalty, but Jesus came and paid for that penalty, and now we are no longer living under the law, but under the grace of God who paid the price for us. In other words, it's not by our own efforts, it's not by our own strength, but by God's grace that we now have a relationship with God. So no one can boast about it, no Anyone can brag about it. Nobody can say, well, I've earned more salvation than you have. We are all saved under the same amazing grace, which is God and in his infinite wisdom and love decided to pay that price for you and I. Amen. That's what that means. That's essentially what the Bible is all about. Amen. So why is that so important? Because you can't really understand and appreciate grace if you don't understand what it means to not be able to fulfill law. Let's go back. Last week we talked a little bit about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, talking about Jesus. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And so we had no choice in sin that's inherent to us as a result of the original sin of Adam, but that, like we talked about last week, may seem unfair until until you realize that Jesus, another one man, pays the price for all of us. So yes, we're all enter into sin at birth, but we all have an opportunity to be born again by accepting the grace of God and all that he has done for us. So, so that part is what we were talking about last week. But this week, I want to look at the next couple of verses, verse 20 through 21. It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In this scripture, there's a battle between sin and grace, legalism and grace. And listen, many of us, if we grew up with a more legalistic background, this is a challenge for us. Some of you, like in the back of your mind, you won't say it out loud, but in the back of your mind, you are cringing at the fact that I'm wearing a jean jacket right now. And you're like, that's not what pastors wear. I'm like, well, I remember Jesus didn't wear a suit, but I guess somehow in our mentality, I remember when I was in Israel and we were talking. We were like, we we're looking at all the Hasidic Jews. We we're like, well, where did that outfit come from in that style? And they were like, that was just Eastern Europe and like the 1800s, where when they started pilgriming back to Israel, that's kind of what they wore. That was the style of the time. And somehow they decided that that's how you have to dress for the rest of your life. And so, you know, we, we can get caught up in just kind of rules and regulations and what we learn. And you know, I always kind of and my sisters in the front row had always made me chuckle when we would be leaving at like 40 degrees below zero to go to church and I'm wearing three layers of pants and she still had a skirt on and I said, we have to wear a skirt. I was like, I don't know why, but Okay. And, and again, that's the mentality that oftentimes we have. And I'm not saying you know all rules and regulations are out the window. Obviously, everything we see in the Old Testament that's fulfilled in the New Testament, we still need to follow. Like, it's still bad to murder somebody, okay? I'm not saying we throw it all out. It's still bad to covet. It's still bad to have greed. All those things are still in play. But the battle that Paul is arguing with in many of Paul's scriptures, in the book of Ephesus, and Corinthians, and Romans, he is constantly battling with the legalistic mindset of these Jews who have converted to Christianity and are still holding on to the rules and regulations that they believe and they've been taught their whole lives they have to live by. And Paul keeps saying, no, no, no. It's not that. That is not what's going to get you in the good graces of God. It is living under grace. And that's what we're trying to communicate today. It's a battle between condemnation and restoration. Will you continue to live under the judgment of the law or will you begin to live under the grace of God? This, is about, this isn't about what you can do for God, but what God has already done for you. So let's dive back into the text. If you're taking notes, the first thing that pops out to me that I think we need to understand is this idea that sin abounds. The law came to increase the trespass. This seems kind of opposite, right? I thought the law is supposed to stop us from trespassing. But what Paul is arguing is that the law came to increase the trespass. What do you mean by that? Well, Sometimes we feel like once we know something's wrong that all of a sudden now it's wrong And if we didn't know it was wrong, then we were okay The idea is many think ignorance is bliss But let me tell you something church ignorance is just ignorance Okay, it's not bliss Let's say you have an x-ray or an MRI And the results show you have some sort of mass in your body Before that image was taken, you were enjoying life Everything was great. You didn't think anything was wrong. You didn't think anything was happening. You had no fear of death, no fear of having to go through treatment, no idea that anything was wrong. But that ignorance did not change the fact that something unseen was killing you. So does the x-ray machine or the MRI cause the unseen issue in your body? Obviously not. But it brings light to what was already going on. And so once you get that report, suddenly everything changes when in reality nothing has actually changed. You're just aware now of that reality. In the same way, that's what the law does. The law of God shines light on the unseen sin in your life. So many of us, you didn't think you were sinners until somebody told you you were a sinner. For many of us, we've grown I'm a good person, I live life, and then you read the scriptures and you realize I am not a good person, I've really messed up in my life, and I am a sinner. Now, the truth is, you were always a sinner. Every single one of us, beginning with the speaker, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Many of you just didn't know, but not knowing isn't an excuse. If you get pulled over for a speeding ticket and you say, oh, I didn't know what the speed limit was, ignorance is not an excuse. Well, it's like, well, now you know, here's your ticket. <laughs> and so we have to be careful that the law really brings the reality to fruition. Listen, Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 12, well, then, I am guessing that the law of God is sinful, right? I love sarcasm in the Bible, it's awesome. Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kind of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came into my life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and right. Again, that can be confusing. How can it be holy, right, and good if it causes you to sin? Well, the law in and of itself doesn't cause us to sin. But here's the best way I can explain it, right? Why sin increases. Because forbidden fruit tastes the sweetest. Once you know you can't, all you want is that. Adam and Eve had access to an entire garden of fruits and vegetables. They could eat anything they want. And God said, except for this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, surely you will die. But they were tempted by the law. Had they never been told that, they may have never even gotten around to eating from that tree. They probably would have been eating you know, all the other ones. Were like, oh, I forgot about that tree. Like It wasn't a thing to them until the reality of the law was put into play. And they were tempted by the law, you shall not eat this uh, from this tree, and all of a sudden, it's all they want to do. Once you're told you can't do something, the sinful nature rises up and says, now all I want to do is that thing. I never understood why buttons that you're not supposed to push are painted red and shiny. Because now all I got to do is push that button. I remember in high school, I was in a machine class and all these dangerous machines had these big red shiny buttons and I would just get itching. like, man, I just wonder what would happen. I just want to see. Like, I don't even know if it's plugged in. It may not even be plugged in. I think I'm going to push it. Like, and then you tell your guys, hey, bro, I dare you to push it. No, you push it. Now I think, I mean, you, if you push it, I'll push it. Like, and that's, that's literally what sin is. Sin is like, well, I didn't know it was wrong, but now that I do, I kind of like, I kind of want it. Oh, well, you're not supposed to dress this way. Well, now all I want to do is dress this way. You're not supposed to act like that. Well, now I really want to act like that. And listen, some of y'all, y'all really rebellious. Like, extra rebellious. Uh, Again, I I use this as an illustration. Josie, if you're watching, listen to me. (laughs) She is so incredibly stubborn right now and refusing to potty train. I would actually be fine if she was dumb and she couldn't. But she's not. She's so incredibly brilliant, and she knows she needs to use it. She knows how to use it. She can take everything off and put everything back on. She even can wipe herself. But there is this stubborn refusal. Why? Because we're telling her to do it. We're saying, you have to use a potty. And her reality is, no, I won't. It's like, yes, you will. No, I won't. And all of a sudden, she probably would have done it if we wouldn't have said anything. But now that it's this thing that we're asking her to do, all of a sudden the sinful nature and this beautiful, sweet little girl, she just chooses violence every morning. (laughs) And my poor, sweet wife, I'm sorry, babe. I'm back, I'm back. Listen, that's what the law does. Now again, was it the law that makes you sin? No, obviously not. But sinful nature is such that once you realize you're not supposed to, all you want to do is that one thing. The good news is, because thank God for Jesus, the good news is, as scriptures say, where sin abounds, where sin increases, grace abounds more, right? That's the second point. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. In other words, no matter how much your sin increases, you will never outgrace God. So, well, I got sin up to here. God's like, well, no problem. I got grace up to here. Wherever sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. No matter what's happening, no matter what you're going through, no matter how wicked and disgusting and horrible the sin is, grace is sufficient. Grace abounds above and beyond that. Now, here's why we have a hard time with that. Because we don't think that's fair. And so because we don't think that's fair, we don't even accept it for ourselves. We think, well, no, that person has crossed the line too many times because in our lives, if somebody keeps doing that to us, grace runs out. Right again, going back to the potty training. My wife Monday through Thursday had a lot of grace. Friday and Saturday, grace ran out, and Josie, Josie pooped one way or the other. Okay, it came out of her, and so what happened? She ran out of grace. And that's human nature. The problem is God is not human nature. And so we think because our grace runs out on people, that God's grace runs out on us. But that's not the truth. That's not what God does. He is not a man, right? He, He is not like you. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. He doesn't approach things the way you approach things. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 through 10. I love what Paul says here. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What is he saying? Paul persecuted the church. Paul, before he was converted, would hunt down Christians and have them killed. Paul had literal blood on his hands. He was a murderer. He may not have done it with his own hands, but he caused the death of many of God's people. So Paul recognizes, listen, out of all the sinners, I am chief among them. I am the worst of the worst. Out of all the apostles, I'm the last one. I'm the least of them. Matter of fact, I don't even deserve that. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Listen, pastors, we, it's nothing special about us. I don't deserve to be a pastor. I haven't earned it. It is by the grace of God. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Like, and I just accept that in life. And I'm just willing to say yes to that. And again, it's not anything that we can boast about. Now, what Paul says, and we'll get into this a little bit more next week, is because of his grace, there was an effect that happened. Something stirred up in him. When he recognized the grace of God, what does he say? I worked harder than all of them, not to earn my place with God, but in response to the grace of God. Because I've been given such amazing grace, I I feel a debt to that. I feel like I need to live up to that because I'm so incredibly blessed by what God has done that I want to honor him with the life that he's so graciously given me. So uh, this is something that we have to really let sink into our heads because too many of us have completely walked away from the faith because of failures, because of mistakes, because of outright rebellion. Sometimes they're not mistakes, guys. Sometimes you knew what you were going to do, and you did it anyway. And so when you go through those moments, you think, well, that was it. That was my chance. I messed up. This is the billionth time I've messed up. And so God's done with me. I don't read anywhere in Scripture where he says that. I don't read anywhere in scripture where he says, well, you sinned 112 times. That was, that was the last one. And now get out of my face. No, no, it's, it's us who reject God. And we'll get into that in a moment. But listen, if there's breath in your lungs, if, there, if you're alive, if you're cognizant, there's a pulse, grace abounds. No matter what you do, no matter how messed up you are, doesn't mean there's no consequences. There's consequences to your sin, absolutely. But the grace of God will never run out. You cannot, you cannot out-sin the grace of God. We can't sin more than God can forgive, but we can reject his grace and forgiveness. You hear me? We can't sin more than God can forgive, but we can reject his grace and forgiveness. And when we reject God's grace is when sin reigns. Third thing is this, if you're taking notes. The Bible talks about where sin reigns. The word reigns means to rule over, okay? Where, where, where sin has dominion, where sin is in charge. Sin reigns when we choose legalism over grace. Right? Sin reigns when we choose legalism over grace. Why? We just talked about it. Where The law increases sin, but grace causes us to want to not sin anymore. And so I've had this in all the years that I've done youth ministry. I've always been afraid of this, because I've seen this repeated so many times. The parent with the child who is so incredibly overbearing, who doesn't give them any room to breathe, any chance to do anything, they're just locked in a cage because they think if I just lock them away, then everything will be okay. But here's what happens. The second they get a taste of any freedom, they Wild out, I mean, just crazy because they've never had it. So they want all they want is sin. So when they go to college or when they go to work or when they move out of their house, all of a sudden there is outward rebellion of everything that's been shoved down their throat. Why? Because it was shoved down their throat. Right? If I like, you might have your favorite food, but if I force feed you that every day, at some point you're going to be disgusted by it. And legalism is this effort to try to do what only God has done for us. And it's always an effort that's going to end in failure. So when you choose legalism, sin is going to reign in that person's life. Sin is going to reign in your life. Because none of us are capable of living righteously before God. That's why we need grace. Listen, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Pause right there. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. See, here's the reality. God gives grace, but you still have to receive it. The sinful nature is natural. We're all born with that. You don't have to receive that. You already have that. But grace has to be received. Grace has to be taken. God offers it, you have to take it. The problem is, many of us reject God's grace so that we can do things in our own strength. So if I dress a certain way, if I act a certain way, if I do a certain thing a certain number of times, then that will get me in the right place. That's where a lot of religions fail because a lot of religions are based on effort. right? Buddhism, if I live this way for a certain amount of time and I deny all self-pleasures, maybe one day I might reach nirvana. And and there's all these other religions. It's the same way. It's about earning your right. It's about sacrificing yourself to do all these things. Only the God of the Bible, only Christianity, only Jesus Christ says, I already did it for you. You just have to receive what I've done. It's like like if I'm ahead of you in the McDonald's drive-thru and I paid for your meal. You don't got to pay again. You just got to take it and go home. You just got to receive what's already been given to you. But too many of us are paying twice for something that's already happened. And what the Bible says, when you do that, you crucify Christ all over again. Because you're making him suffer again for what he's already paid for. William Barclay once wrote the phrase, um, We fall short of the grace of God. It might also be translated, failing to keep up with the grace of God. The idea is that grace of God is moving on past the pain, past the hurt of the past. So we should move on also. Grace is constantly moving forward. Grace says, listen, that that thing that you're stuck on, that pain, that hurt, that sin, that you feel like you still need to make up for, I'm already past that. Move on. Come with me. Grace is not in one place. Grace takes you from glory to glory. Grace takes you from victory to victory. Grace says, no, no, that's already covered. Get to the next level of this game because you're playing it over and over again. The grace of God has already accomplished what we in and in ourselves have tried to do. The problem is we're often stuck in that place and we don't move forward with grace. We're still trying to dig a tunnel out when you, when you already had freedom in that sense. Does that make sense? So if sin doesn't reign, if we're walking with grace and sin no longer reigns in our life, well, who does reign? Simple, the grace of God, right? Grace reigns all the more. Here's something that you need to remember because some of us get confused with this. Grace does not accommodate sin. People think that, well, if you show grace, then people are just going to keep sinning. And, and, and we have that mentality ourselves. Well, you know, if I forgive them, if I let them go, then they're just going to get over on me again. And they're going to hurt me again. And so we have this mentality. No, no. If we don't come down on them or if we don't come down on ourselves, then we're just going to keep on sinning. We can't always show grace. And here's the reality. And, and I think to a fault, sometimes I and my pastoral ministry have shown more grace than legalism. And sometimes it's hurt me. Sometimes it's come back on me, and I go, man, I probably should have handled that differently, but you know, I, just, I really believed in that person. I wanted to show grace, and it's, it's burned me. But when I stand before the Lord one day, and I have to answer for being overly legalistic or overly gracious, I choose grace. I'll, I'll be fine with that. Yeah. I'll answer to God for that one. Yeah. But too many of us, we keep putting this pressure undue on people and on ourselves to live to a standard that none of us can fulfill. And that's why people quit Christianity. That's why people quit God. It's not because God put that pressure on them. It's because we've placed that pressure on ourselves and on each other. We look at somebody, I remember uh, you know, talking about this even uh, with our women's ministry. Uh, I said this the other day, like we have to be careful when we judge somebody walking through the door with what they're wearing and how they're acting. As if they've been a Christian as long as you have. Like some people are just, no. I remember one time in youth ministry, uh, we had this big giant event and all these kids about it out and people ran up to her like, Joey, Pastor Joy, there's this girl sitting on this boy's lap. I go, oh, are they new? Yeah. All right, well, I'll go talk to them later, but I'm not going to embarrass them in front of everybody. They don't know that's wrong. They haven't experienced the law. They, they're not convicted by sin. It's not, I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? Yell at them and then they never want to come back? Yell at them before they even have a chance To experience the amazing grace of God I am, I'm not the gatekeeper Of heaven I'm not the one who gets to decide who goes in And who goes out based on what they do and how they do it See the Bible says that What we're doing that's fruit Right that's evidence Of who we are but that's not The standard of what we're going to be And so if you see bad fruit let's say hey listen I might be careful with that person I may not watch that kid, guy watch my kids Or that woman watch my kids like I don't trust them all the way but they're on a journey, and I'm going to let them keep going on that journey. Now, if it becomes detrimental to the sheep, and it becomes cancerous, and there's some stuff that have to be dealt with, then I will deal with that. Not a problem. I'm not afraid to do that part. But at the same time, why do we set a standard that's higher than what God sets for people? When God said grace abounds, then let grace abound. Let grace reign. Let it be part of the kingdom. So grace does not accommodate sin. It faces it squarely and goes above sin in order to conquer it. Grace does not wink at unrighteousness and say, no problem, just keep going. It confronts sin with the atonement at the cross and the victory won in the open tomb. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 through 7. But God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we are dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. I love that picture. Christ can point to all of us in future ages. Meaning God is pointing at this service here at Belmont Assembly of God and you, my friend, are an example of the grace of God. You are a living, walking example of God's grace. This is why, like I said earlier, it's so critical that people know your story, that people know your testimony so that they can experience the incredible power of grace over your life so that they can see, wait, wait, you used to do what? You used to be who? Well, how did you change? I didn't. God changed me. It's by the grace of God that I am where I am now. It's by the grace of God, as Paul says, that I am who I am. But you were a drug addict, or you were in gangs, or, or you prostituted, or, or it can't even, it doesn't even have to be that extreme. It could just be like, well, you were an atheist and you didn't believe, and, and you, well, how all of a sudden? Listen, I don't really have a lot of answers except by the grace of God, I am who I am. It's not by my own strength, it was not by my own effort, it was not by my own skills. It is by the grace of God that I am who I am. Listen to me, church, this is important to understand because on the journey, sometimes we think, well, I failed God. You can't fail God. God's the one who did the work. What you can do is fail to follow God, is to quit, is to give up. That that can hurt you, rejecting the grace of God, unwilling to receive the grace of God. But listen, while the law is the standard of righteousness, grace is the source of righteousness so the law is the standard this is is what it takes to be righteous but our source of righteousness comes through grace in other words righteousness means you are in right standing with God you you are in a good standing with the Lord and we're not in a good standing with the Lord because we're perfect because no one in this room is we are in good standing with the Lord because a perfect God Jesus Christ stood for us co-signed on us While the law defines righteousness, only grace delivers it. It is only by God's grace that you are made righteous with God. The law was never intended to be a means of obtaining grace. It was given to demonstrate to men that grace is desperately needed. That's what that means. It's like you have an insurmountable debt. You owe billions upon billions of dollars. And you look at that debt and you say there's no way I would ever be able to pay that. And now you know as a result of that debt, your life is going to be taken. There's an utter helplessness in knowing, what do you mean? There's nothing I can do. It's impossible for me to pay that debt. And then someone comes along and says, no worries, I've paid it. Well, I didn't do anything to earn it. Like, can I do something? Can I help you? It's like, listen, there's nothing you can do that's going to earn billions of dollars for me. I did this by the grace that I have for you. In reality, that's what God has done. There's nothing you can do that can pay the insurmountable debt you owe for the sins that you've committed. But God's not asking you to pay it. He's asking you to receive the receipt of payment that's already been given at the cross. Worship team, if you can help me out. So what does that mean for us? Well, let's look at Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three, verse 21 through 24. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. God has already made a way that doesn't require you living a life of legalism, living a perfect standard. That doesn't mean we don't strive for perfection, but it means we're not held accountable to it if we're not reaching it. It says we are made right with God by how? Placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You hear that part, church? So, for those of you in this room who go, "No, I get it," for everybody, else. It's just it's just not for me. Everyone who believes. The word "everyone" there in the ancient Greek means everyone. I think I don't know. I don't know ancient Greek. But what I do know is everyone means everyone. Everyone means you. But, but Pastor, you, I mean, I really messed up. I, I, I even used to go to church and I used to do this and I, I used to serve in that. And I've turned my back on God and I've rejected God. And I, 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 maybe for everybody else, but not for me. Everyone means everyone. Everyone who believes. Do you still believe? Do you still trust? And this is true for everyone who believes, and I love that. No matter who we are, even a murderer, yeah, even a serial killer, yeah. And that's hard for us to fathom. What do you mean, serial killer? Yes, everyone who believes has the opportunity to receive grace. Pastor rapists, child molesters, everyone. Everyone who believes. (laughs) You think you're better than all those people? You think you've sinned less? just because you've sinned differently. All the people that we judge and that we think are worse than us, they're all far short of the glory of God. Listen, if I'm selling something for $5,000, whether you give me $4,500 or $20, you're still short of the price. I'm still not selling it to you. So somehow we think because we're not as bad as the other person that somehow that makes us right with God. No, the grace of God is what makes you right with God. And all of our debt has been cleared, no matter what you've done and no matter who you are. So what scripture go on to say, for everyone has sinned. Every single person in this room, even my sweet three-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old, shoot, my two-month-old, I'm pretty sure side-eyed me. (laughs) Everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That, That would seem like really bad news if the scripture didn't continue. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. How good is that, church? That God in his grace makes us freely right in his sight. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to say a certain amount of Hail Marys. You don't have to live a certain amount of years as a Christian. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to sell all your possessions and live in the street. It's free. The grace of God is free, not because you deserve it, but because he chooses to show you grace. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. What I love about the Lord is that He didn't just say it, he did it. He proved it by sending his one and only son to die on the cross so that the atonement of our sin would be fully paid. So that no man can boast. We are saved by the grace of God. And no matter how high sin goes, grace abounds. Why don't you stand with me, church? I'd like us to take a moment and just reflect within yourself. In a moment, we're gonna pray for us because I think no matter how long you've been a Christian, it can be very easy to start to slide away from grace. And we need to be able to receive that afresh and anew every day. But I'm gonna ask you for just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes because there might be some people in here who have never received the free grace of God through salvation. It's available to everyone in this room who believes. Now that seems too easy, but I've always said this. It is easy. Receiving salvation is easy because Jesus Christ did the hard part. He gave His life on the cross, but then He picked it back up again. And He did so so that you can freely receive the grace that's been offered to you. But you have to receive it. You have to be willing to say and admit God, according to your law, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of grace. And I'm freely willing to receive that grace and to walk in accordance to it. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you are saved. Not might be saved, not could be saved, but are saved. And now you just gotta learn to live under that grace. So with every head bow, every eye closed, again, I mean this sincerely, even if it's just one of you, I want to give you this chance because nothing is more important than this one moment. So if you're here and say, Pastor Joey, I've never given my life to the Lord. I've never accepted him as my savior. Or maybe you have, like we talked about, but you've ran away from God's grace and you want to receive it again. You want to rededicate your life to the Lord. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just lift up your hand right where you're at and I'm going to include you in a prayer. Whether it's your first time or, thank you, thank you. I see you over there, thank you, sir, thank you. Amen, thank you. Amen, anyone else? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Here, let's pray together. Church, let's join me all together. Say, Jesus, I recognize according to your word that I am a sinner in need of a savior. So I ask you, here and now, forgive me of my sins. Make me fresh. Make me new. Help me, Lord, to live under your grace and to honor you, not because I have to, but because I get to. I thank you for this all. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, would you celebrate that moment? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now listen to me. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the service, we're going to have some of our volunteer prayer team up here. Take a moment and come and talk to them because just saying yes is not enough. There's there's a follow-up with that. I mean, it's enough for salvation, but now you want to learn to live under that. I said yes to my wife on our wedding day, but how many know if I said yes and then never spoke to her again, that's a bad marriage. Now, we might still legally be married, but it's not a good marriage. We want to help you learn to live under grace. And so take a few moments at the end of the service, join us up here, take that next step because it's so critical. For everyone else, I want to pray in just a moment that the grace of God will be sufficient for you. In other words, I wanna help you take the burden off your shoulders of this idea that you have to earn the love of God. Now he chooses to love you. And the scriptures tell us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't do it because you did certain amount of things and you earned the grace of God. It's by the very definition of grace that means we can't earn it. But now we have to live under grace. What does that mean? That means we don't put that same legalistic mindset on other people. We don't put that same pressure that God has lifted off of our shoulders onto somebody else's shoulders, be it a friend, neighbor, your children, your parents. That means that living by grace means offering grace to others. And it also means that when we approach the throne of grace, we're willing to receive that grace on a regular basis. I mean, I get that I don't deserve it, but I'm glad that you do it anyways, God. And I want to honor you. Like Paul said, I worked really hard after receiving that grace, not because I have to, but because I'm so grateful for the grace that I've gotten. So I want to pray that God would help us with that. Heavenly Father, you see your people in this room. And God, all of us to one degree or another often put undue pressure on ourselves to live a standard you didn't ask us to live by. God, you asked us to live by grace. That doesn't give us freedom to sin, that doesn't give us the opportunity to run away. But Lord, I pray for the, the pressure that is undue that we put on ourselves, on others, to try to live to a standard that Lord, you haven't placed anymore. You paid the ultimate penalty to fulfill the ultimate standard. So God, I just pray, help us God, to live by grace. No matter how high sin abounds, to recognize that grace abounds all the more, that there's always reconciliation, that there's always an opportunity to turn back to you, no matter how far we drift, to the left or to the right, that we will always have a chance to get back into your good graces, that grace will never run out on us, God. So help us to not run out on you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the guidance that it gives us and that it helps us go from our perception of you to the reality of who you are. Help us, God, to live that now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise?